Welcome back to another edition of Old Soul, New Soul Astrology Podcast. Don't you love that title, Robert? Boy, that has worked out well for us, hasn't it? <laughs> well, it's all thanks to you. It's your title, and I love it, too. Well, it's worked good. We're going to take a listener question today from a great friend of the Fun Astrology Podcast and of this one, Patrick. Hey, Thomas and Robert. You guys are incredible. Thank you so much for the podcasts. I love what you're doing, and... I love the new show. It is great. My question is about books. I know there's a lot out there. So um, if this is hard to do, I understand. Um, you've talked quite a bit about quite a few throughout the last couple podcasts. And I was wondering if you guys had a set list or highly recommended ones to start with and maybe some further down the line for those who are a little more advanced. Thank you so much for what you guys are doing. And I hope you have a great weekend. Well, thank you, Patrick, and thank you so much for listening and for your support of what we're doing around here. You know, Robert, before we uh, talk to you about some things on your list, could I just mention one real quick? Of course. So I narrated a four-part series for Steve Forrest called the Elements Series, where he basically put down in four volumes based on fire, earth, air, and water in that order— Everything that he would bring to a reading, at least as what is the top of mind stuff. He and Robert are about the same uh, tenure or experience in astrology. And this is what he would say when he sees a particular sign, planet, aspect, configuration. This is what he thinks. So that is all captured. He wrote the book series over the pandemic, and it is now his legacy work. And I was privileged enough to narrate that to audio. So you could either get the set. It is a desk reference set, and you absolutely should have it. And then also the audio book is very convenient because you can listen to it over and over. And that will get a lot of these configurations etched in your mind. So I wanted to just mention that. And the reason also that I mentioned that, Robert, is that, of course, Steve's style is what he calls evolutionary astrology which is basically, this is where I love, the Google map of the soul. It's all based around astrology as our soul's journey. And Steve approaches his interpretations and his work from that perspective only. You have, I would say, a much broader perspective of astrology that you gleaned from some of the older manuals and older books that are not back all the way to Lily, and you're not interpreting things from Latin and Greek like Robert Hand is, but these books that you have followed are the roots of the tradition kind of books that bring this incredible seasoning to the craft that you bring to the table. So what are some of the books and resources that have, most me have meant the most to you? Well, I guess I have to go back to the very beginning, which was um, the A to Z Horoscope Maker and Delineator by Llewellyn George, which was originally published, I think, in either the late 20s or early 30s, maybe somewhere there, and revised. But when I, you've heard me tell the story of how astrology found me, not really the other way around, when a total stranger in Pickwick Bookshop, one night where I happened to be standing in front of the astrology section. And the reason I was there was very simple. I had gone to Los Angeles to be an actor. I had won a scholarship uh, to the Pasadena Playhouse that summer. And here I am in the astrology section 
thinking maybe one of these books will tell me that I'm going to be rich and famous as an actor. That's exactly why I was there. And this guy walks over to me and says, you're a Libra, aren't you? And I said, yes. And he said, you're an astrologer. And I said, well, I'm an actor. And he said, well, you may be an actor, but what you really are is an astrologer. And the book you want isn't here. It's not in print. Come with me to the front desk. And he wrote down this book title, The A to Z Horoscope Maker and Delineator. Told me to go to a used bookstore on Monday on Hollywood Boulevard. And that they would have a copy. And sure enough, they did. And that's the book that started me out. And it's very thick. It's an old classic. And I'm sure a lot of astrologers started out on it. It shows you everything you need to know to set up a horoscope and then how to interpret the whole thing. And that's the book that when I got to a paragraph about my moon in Aries in my <laughs> third house, it said, you have a mole mark or a scar on your head or face from age five. And I nearly fell out of my chair because I do. Uh, little hairline scars really invisible. So that's what started me. And uh, let me ask you something yeah. on that because that book is thick. I have it. I have the yes, it is. the modified, the current version. You can find it on that A word uh, place where you buy books online. <laughs> it's there, and I'm sure other places. But you know, it's thick, and I would imagine that somebody who is trying to learn astrology, sitting down at that book. Uh, could be intimidating. And then, of course, you're learning. Let me put another plug in here because I have created a course that's over on the Fun Astrology website, funastrology.com, called the 101 course. And it's right there on the front page. And it basically is designed that if you know nothing and you want to get to the point where at least you are fluent, it will help get you there. Then you sit down with the A to Z delineator. But I'm curious, you were in your 20s when you met this book for the first time. But as you start to study astrology, and there is so much new, and it's such a foreign language for people, how do you suggest they start to put the pieces together and then memorize all of that stuff? I mean, you're talking about if you just take 12 signs, 12 houses and 10 planets that's 1440 combinations plus aspects at least five aspects. i didn't mention the aspects on purpose right <laughs> exactly yeah. so where do you begin and how do you assimilate all of that so that somebody 60 years later could talk like you about it <laughs> uh ugh, what a question i you know, know. well you, it's the said, question that people are facing right yeah and when you said memorize um I, I guess that's exactly what i did and what every beginner tries to do but ultimately i i got to a point i still teach this way once you have a sort of basic grasp of the the fundamentals about what the sun means the moon and so on you can actually I believe you can think your way through anything, any question, for example, in orary. Uh, if you, for example, one of the books I would recommend is Mark Edmund Jones' book on, on orary uh, for a couple of reasons. It's the single best book on orary astrology that I have ever read. But even for natal work, he gives the best and most thorough, and I mean thorough, descriptions of the houses, especially in the technique of using derivative houses. 
so that if you want to know about your partner, your wife, or your husband's finances, you look to their second house, which is derived from the, the seventh house of your partner. So the eighth house then becomes your partner's money, how sheer he handles money and how they make a living, their income and so on. So his descriptions of the houses are to me by far the best. And, and a lot of times I've had astrologers, well, what about William Lilly? Well, what about William Lilly? Uh, he obviously is the one of the earliest uh, and most thorough orary astrologers that we know of. But the way his work is presented is not terribly well organized or even well structured. So you wind up with a lot of rules that seemingly are arbitrary and not necessarily logically related. Well, William Lilly was writing 400 years ago, and like everything else, we've come a long way in 400 years. Somebody said, oh, yeah, but it's, it's so old. Well, so is brain surgery. Ancient Egyptians were doing brain surgery. We, we, we know from skulls with rectangular cutouts where they were trying to. So again, today, if you have a brain tumor, you're not going to go to 2,000-year-old surgery. You're going to go to. So it's not. I'm not putting down William Lilly's work at all. In fact, Mark Edmund Jones's work is based on it. But his his work on orary astrology, that book alone is, I just think, indispensable for anybody. He's a difficult writer to read. He writes very elliptically. Sentences are, it can be a paragraph long. I, I know when I first read it, I would get halfway through a paragraph and have to begin again. But uh, it's well worth it. It's a terrific book. I know what you mean on that. I'm working on a book right now, as you know, Robert, um, that was written in 1907, well, 1910, released by a guy by the name of Wallace Waddles, and I'm doing a remake on the public domain book. And it is difficult. Writing back then was hard for us today to understand. <laughs> True. You know, we begin a conversation, was up, or hey, and that was not the way that it was done back then. So it almost is a vernacular difference that we can't a lot of people have a hard time bridging that gap. And when we talk about all these books, like, you know, Safario we're going to talk about here, that's a difficult form. So I, for me, what has happened is slow down, digest bit-sized pieces that you can assimilate, and your greatest friend in doing all of this is note cards. <laughs> Make note cards. <laughs> yep. And just go back and use them over and over because if you capture these concepts – then you're you really, but it is. I mean, it is almost a daunting thing to think that you're going to sit down. Let's talk about Safariel's uh, astrology handbook is like, even, and it's not that thick. It's nowhere near the size of the A to Z. And yet every word basically has to be committed to memory. That's true. And I think partly because of the way it's organized, but Safariel's manual of astrology which is what you're talking about. That was a book, actually, that Linda Goodman recommended to me after I'd met her. And uh, a lot of these older books, which that one is, uh, are written, I think, the philosophy of astrology in those days was very fatalistic. All of these books come across very fatalistically, which leads the impression that, oh, my gosh, if I get good enough at this, I can predict every single thing before it happens to somebody. And that's simply not true. 
So it creates a false impression, I think. So if you read these older books for the technique for the the techniques that they can present, uh, they're well worth it uh, just to know whether you use all of them or not. But you have to have that caveat in there that uh, they they can often. I think in Safari's manual he has one section on marriage. And he goes through various things that promise or deny marriage. And then he concludes by saying, otherwise, he goes without saying that everyone will be married. Well, everyone was, I guess, in his day. It didn't matter who or what you were. You pretty much had to get married. So, so it's those kinds of little dated qualities that some of these books have. That as long as you bear in mind that astrology is not not fated to that degree, not at all, then you'll be okay. And I got a lot out of the uh, Safario's manual. Oh, I think it's great. Is, yeah, There's yeah. so much in there. It is so rich, so many techniques. Okay, uh, Grant Louie, another author oh. that I know you've <laughs> mentioned quite a bit. My favorite, one of my favorites. He wrote two books that I know of, um, Heaven Knows What and Astrology for the Millions, I think written in the 40s. And they're just terrific books. They really are. He, uh, he was an excellent astrologer, and he's very succinct, even though the books themselves are, they're not thin. He, they're very comprehensive. But uh, everything that he says in those books is right on the money. And he's just a terrific astrologer and a pretty easy read. Unlike uh, Mark Edmund Jones, for example, it's not an easy read, but it's still one of the best astrology books ever written. Mark Edmund Jones and I. So Grant Louis' books, I think, are those are another two books that I started out on. You know, let's talk about Linda's book. You mentioned Linda Goodman, Sun Signs. Yeah, obviously a classic. It was really the first big blockbuster astrology book written in the 70s. Yeah, that book got the biggest publishing advance, advance in publishing history. She had a hell of a time trying to sell it. Nobody wanted it. So she finally found a small publisher, Taplinger, who gave her a $75,000 advance for it. In the 70s it, now, remember, yeah, that's a chunk yeah, of change. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, the thing hit the bestseller list and stayed there forever, and deservedly so. I, it's the best pop astrology book, I think, probably ever written. Uh, And she was a writer before she even knew anything about astrology. She'd written for Monitor and for television. She had a newspaper column. It was called Letters to Linda. It was like an advice column. But she she knew how to write for for the general readership. She was a terrific writer. And Sun Signs came out very well thought out. You know, I forget the title, the full title on the cover was how to really know your husband, your boss, your child, your employer, you know, all, all these things. So she broke it down that way. And it, it's a, a joy to read still and uh, deserves every accolade that it received. I, I, I still love it. I haven't read it in a long time, but uh, yeah, that's absolutely indispensable, I think. Interesting because Linda was more her readings and her teachings and i know the time you spent with her was more talking about things that are that come from the a to z and from safarial and yet she wrote about sun signs and didn't address any of those techniques so she was technique based in her work but what she got popular for was as we call it now sun sign astrology and she always was that. I think I was privileged. I had stayed with her in Cripple Creek 
uh, over one winter and, and sort of house sat for her at one point because she went back to uh, New York to see her husband, Sam. She was still married at that time. And I'm not telling tales out of school. She had, uh, uh, in those days, uh, a young, I think he was 26, uh, year old uh, lover named Bob Brewer, uh, to which she dedicated her second book, I think, Venus Trines at Midnight. Uh, so this, these are not, this isn't gossip. This is pretty much public domain. And at one point, uh, an oil magnate who had a lodge in Vail, Colorado, had a bunch of uh, oil men, I guess, with him. And he wanted her to come up there and give readings. Well, <laughs> I was the guy. We didn't have computers in those days. I was the guy who in Cripple Creek had to set up all their horoscopes. But when we got there and I drove her up in the snow and we're sitting around this, I was kind of off in the corner of the dining room in this lodge that this man owned. And there were about six of these businessmen. Linda was not very interested in uh, psychological astrology or even medical astrology. Had no interest in medical astrology, in fact. But she gave me a fan of hers, happened to send her some mimeographed copies of a lecture that a Dr. William Davidson had given to a group of nurses in Chicago in 1957 on medical astrology. And she said, do you want these? And she gave them to me. But I watched her read for these guys. And it's the only time I actually was able to, to watch her read. And she was very, very event oriented. She was with me when I first met her and she, she was looking at my score. She was very event oriented. So I know at one point she was reading one of these men's horoscopes and just out in front of everybody and out of nowhere, she said, do you have a brother who's in prison? And the man went ashen because he did. I can't remember why the man was in prison. But that's what she liked to do. And she liked to predict events. But she didn't go into any of the metaphysics about how we create our own reality, which I didn't understand either until one of the books I would love to mention here, Thomas, is Jane Roberts' books, Seth Speaks, the nature of personal reality, especially the nature of personal reality. It's certainly the best single book that I can think of outside of astrology that I've ever read in my life, the nature of personal reality. And it absolutely relates to astrology because the, the whole premise of the book is that we create our reality from second to second, minute to minute all from the present. Your point of power is in the present. And we create the reality according to core beliefs that we have about ourselves. So if, for example, your core belief about yourself is that you are worthless, which shows up in charts, by the way, these belief systems, then your reality will reflect your belief that you are worthless. Now, you can change your beliefs, and that's the whole premise of these books, once you're aware of these core beliefs. And so I instantly latched on to the idea that these archetypes in astrology, the planets and the houses they're in, the signs that they're in, the aspects they make, these actually show us our core beliefs about ourselves. Sometimes those are hard to admit. If you have Saturn in the second house, for example, and let's say it's afflicted, as the old books used to say, it can indicate self-worth problems in the second house. So if your belief 
in your own self-worth is that you're lacking self-worth if you come out of a parental background that constantly put you down or ridiculed you or so on. You will grow up believing that you're worthless. Well, it's a belief. And it may seem to be factual because of the way that you behave, because of this core belief. But once you can make those core beliefs conscious and address them, and nothing beats astrology for doing this, once you can make these things conscious, then suddenly you own them. They're not subconscious, unconscious anymore. So that's a really important book, Those, the, all the Jane Roberts books. Now, before we hop off of Linda's train there, yeah. Lloyd, Lloyd Cope was her teacher, right? Yes, yes. And there are a couple of books out there on Amazon by Lloyd Cope. In fact, while you were talking, I just got online and ordered them. <laughs> uh, very good. You're I've st- never read his book, so I don't know. He, uh, he was a New York teacher, and she studied with him in New York. Your stars are numbered. Your birthday secrets revealed through astronumerology is one. And then the Astrologer's Forecasting Workbook is the other. So those are available on Amazon. You can get them, and they're not that expensive. So Very if you good. wanted you to may kind be of, the next Linda Goodman. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Well, for about $7 or $8 on Amazon, you can have both. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How about Reinhold Ebertine? This is a little different oh. dimension now. Uh, Reinhold Ebertine, German astrologer whose work was – called Combinations of Stellar Influences, and it changed my astrological life when it came out. He goes into the formulae, if you will, of midpoints and midpoint trees, so that midpoint trees are simply placing a planet like your sun or your moon, and underneath that, you can list out the midpoints that that sun falls on within a degree and a half it's a very specific and precise kind of way to to look at astrology but suddenly i thought oh this is this is the rosetta stone because you can look at somebody's son in libra like i have it at eight degrees libra and here's some other person with their son at eight degrees libra totally different why look at their midpoint trees and you'll see why because suddenly one person's sun will be at the midpoint of Jupiter and Mars, and the other points, same sun sign, same degree, will be at the midpoint of Saturn and Pluto. It's completely different, but you would never know it without. So his book, Combinations of Stellar Influences, he found it, I guess, uh, it was based off of Alfred Witte, who was another German astrologer who had the Uranian school of astrology and Ebertine's was co- called cosmobiology but that's another indispensable book to me i'm realizing we need to do a whole episode on midpoints we'll put that on the list liz green wow now you oh, talk yes. about hang on to your hat as far as <laughs> interpreting a book this is a deep british writer liz green i the first one i read and still a classic is Uh, by Liz Green, G-R-E-E-N-E, called Saturn, A New Look at an Old Devil. And I used to teach the classes in Los Angeles, Thomas, and I told them, if you can grasp this book, this one book, you will be the best astrologer on the block. Is that good? Wow. And it's all psychology. It's very much related to Jung and to analytical psychology and to the four types 
the intuitive, the emotional, the sensational, and the intellectual types in, in Jungian astrology, in Jungian psychology. So, and th those correspond with the four elements. And as it turned out, Carl Jung, who was a contemporary of Freud, younger than Freud, Carl Jung actually gave serious study to astrology. Freud wrote him and said, for God's sakes, don't publicize this or you'll be ridiculed out of the business. Well, Jung did it anyway, because he found astrology really, really useful in working with some of his patients. So that book, Liz Green, um, Saturn, A New Look at an Old Devil, is absolutely at the top of the list. And I understand that you have you have a book on Neptune. Well, because I have Sun on Neptune, I have had the life task of learning about Neptune. And she writes a book on it where she brings in the theme of reconnecting to source. So in other words, if you think about Neptune as Lord of the Deep, that we are going to the very depths of our life and picking everything apart in order to reconnect to that from which we came. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful mm -hmm. thesis. Mm -hmm. Hard to understand. She does go into a lot of the mythology uh, associated to a number of different areas. It, it's a deep book, but it will bring you back to that whole assignment that where Neptune is in your chart, it represents a reconnection with source that we have lost. So it's and good. Yeah. Totally true. I also have Sun conjunct Neptune, as you know, and that's exactly what that is. So before we hop off of that, what has been your perception of Neptune? Oh, um, it, it rules so many things. Uh, and of course, when I first got into astrology and saw my son conjunct Neptune within four degrees in my ninth house, uh, the A to Z delineator warns you against uh, alcohol and drugs. And those are associated with Neptune. And indeed, I come from a long line of alcoholics. So that brought me up short pretty quickly. Uh, it rules imagination. It rules the arts, all of them, but especially music and painting and dance, uh, photography. Neptune rules film. Uranus rules television, for example. It used to be a big distinction between those two. Now everything can be digital either way. But ultimately, Neptune, for me, my understanding of it is refinement. It's it does rule contamination, infections, pollutions, virus. Uh, so it rules that kind of, it's a, a porosity, Thomas. You have this and I have it too. Now I've got it in Libra and you have it in Scorpio, I guess. Yes. Right? Yeah. So it makes a person not only psychologically porous and by porous i mean sensitive to everything in the environment sound sights smells chemicals other people other people's emotional states well i went to california to be an actor i went to hollywood to be an actor and i was acting when i was a kid so it does rule actors and because the idea of disguises and taking on other people's roles, other characters, and portraying them through your own body and so on. So it rules all of that. But as I've grown and gotten older and older, I, what it really does, I think it rules refinement. The more it's, it's one of those planets, if you have it conjunct your sun in some way or other, or your moon, you are meant to quote unquote, penetrate the veil, the illusions of life. Now, this takes us way back to Plato and other philosophies about 
uh, way back into ancient Hindu astrology and so on about the illusion of 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 physical life. So people like us are aware that there is something beyond the physical, something metaphysical that draws us. And as we get into those realms of thought, it's natural to begin to purify your your own understanding and eliminate clutter and eliminate lies and eliminate misunderstandings. And frankly, the biggest guide in my own life to this day, I really detest liars. I once said in, <laughs> in a concert during intermission, I was uh, there with a friend of mine, Claire, and just she and I were talking at intermission and I said, you know, to me, I think lying is worse than murder. What? And I said, no, really, at least with murder, you have an actual crime, an actual commitment of a crime that somebody is going to get arrested for or discovered sooner or later. With lies, it's gaslighting. You get elected. <laughs> well, they, they just, and, and as I was expounding on this, a woman next to Claire leaned forward and she said, excuse me. I couldn't help but over here, I'm a marriage and family child counselor, and I couldn't agree more about lying. It's absolutely deadly, because when a spouse does something and you call them on it and they say, I didn't do that. That's just your interpretation of what. So they're gaslighting you, and it begins to dissolve your sense of sanity. Lies do. So we're in now a state in this country and elsewhere in the world where a lot of politicians are doing nothing but lying. And it's difficult for people who don't have the time to source everything, you know, to, to make sure they're being told the truth or not. So the whole idea of misinformation and disinformation in politics is all Neptunian. Now, Neptune is a fascinating study, and we could go, oh, maybe, yeah. maybe I should add Neptune to the list, too. We could just park on that. Well, here's an old rule of thumb, and I don't know what book I found this in. The sign where you have Neptune, for example, you will have what, what is called an auric leak over that part of the body, that the aura, the electromagnetic field in the body is weakened. So I have it in Libra, you have it in Scorpio. So the kidneys, the back, and so on, that's the area. And one of the, the prescriptions for that is to get a bit of sunbathing into that area of the, um, the body, because the sun's rays will help heal this supposed leak in your aura. Now, that's interesting. I put it yeah. on the list, so we'll hold further until we do a whole episode on the many aspects of Neptune. You and I could do about three hours on that, probably. Hey, let's tell people about the Kepler classes, and then I want to ask one more thing about something that should definitely be on the list. But Kepler College, which is a big astrology school located in the Pacific Northwest, Robert has been working with them for over a decade, and there are two that I'm thinking, two workshops that I'm thinking that are available for sale on Kepler's website. I believe it's keplercollege.org, but you can just look it up. Just search Kepler Astrology College, and you'll get the right URL. The Solar Arc Workshop is one, and then the one that he did most recently to this recording is the one on reincarnation. So I just wanted to put those out. Those are both available and excellent multi-hour 
learning sessions with Robert and PowerPoint slides teaching you the various concept, um, respective concepts. Now, one other series that we should mention is if you go on Amazon and you search Robert Glasscock, you get a set of four pamphlets or booklets, ebooks that Robert has written. Tell us about those. One of them is called um, Astrology Rising, which is simply about how I got my start in astrology. One of them is called A Lifetime at a Glance, which is using planetary degrees to give you ages when each planetary archetype is initiated, so to speak. And those degrees can be divided by two or multiplied by other factors and so on. So, for example, I have Uranus at 13 degrees Gemini in my sixth house of work. And at age 13, I got my social security card. I got a newspaper route and I badgered my beloved father to give me a moped so I could have this new newspaper route. So Uranus of machines and mechanics in Gemini of newspapers driving around the neighborhood, throwing papers at four in the morning to make my first money. And at 26, multiply that same degree by two, I was a passenger in a car accident where we were hit on my side of the car. The car started rolling over into oncoming traffic doing 45 miles an hour on Topanga Canyon Boulevard. And as the car rolled over into the traffic, I thought, oh, here's where I die. Not a second's fear, just, oh, this is where I die. And I shut my eyes to die and instantly was 30 feet over the car, watching it roll over, watching these men run out from a filling station across Topanga, stopping traffic. The car righted itself. And I heard Mark, my buddy driving, Bob, Bob, are you all right? And I opened my eyes and I'd been thrown into the back of his uh, VW station wagon. And as these guys pushed the car across into the filling station, uh, I looked up, I noticed that the roof over the passenger seat had crushed into the seat. So I had my first out-of-body experience, which is very much a Uranus and Gemini phenomenon in my sixth house, trying my son at so-and-so, accidents, Uranus and so-and-so. Each of the archetypes in your birth chart, each planetary archetype will be initiated primarily at the age of its degree. And all these are obviously between zero and 30 degrees. But you can take uh, my moon, for example, is at three degrees Aries. Well, for a while, honestly, I moved about every three years. Which is how often that, so you can take a moon archetype at three degrees and multiply it by 10 and you get 30. So at age 30, your lunar archetype will again be predominant that year. So if you have a planet one degree, it's active every year in your life. It's one of the most prominent planets in your chart, no matter where it's placed, just by degree. Which brings me up to developmental astrology, which I guess is my catchphrase for what I, I call what I do. If you place your planets in order of degrees, then you have a, a list graphically and you can see how it any transiting planet entering a new sign will trigger those planetary archetypes in that order. And in fact, your whole life can be described by the planet at earliest degree all the way through to the planet or point at latest degree. And that will be the story of your life. And that's how your life will end. 
with the planet at last degree. Fascinating. So that's another one of those books. The next one is The Practice of Astrology. Practice of Astrology, just some practical advice based on my years of practice, what and to know, what to do, what not to do, what to avoid, what to be on the lookout for, and so on. Perfect. That's incredibly valuable. Then the last one is The Sixth House, Psychology of Self-Integration. Oh. I look at the sixth house first, Thomas. It's become that important. I mean, I don't know where along the way, but I, the sixth house rules work and health. And that's what everybody knows. But as I kept studying and working with it, I realized I call it the house of psychological self-integration. It's how everybody puts their life together. It doesn't matter. I'd say, I look at that house before you even look at the sun sign. Uh, it tells you how a person assimilates, let's say, the first five houses in their horoscope. So you're born and you, you have a body, you become acquainted with that. Then you have brothers and sisters and relatives, third house. Then you realize, oh, this is what a home is. This is what parents are. That's fourth house. Fifth house, I'm going to school. I'm in kindergarten. I'm making friends. I'm finding hobbies and things I love to do and play. The sixth house, really before you're about, around about 14, is how you begin to assimilate yourself. So, for example, again, with Uranus in that house, I started realizing very early, I'm not like anybody else that I know. I realize I'm very, I'm different. I think differently. I'm, I have different interests. And so the way I've always put myself together turns out to be through Uranus in my sixth house. Well, what could be more natural than becoming an astrologer with that position in there? So, that, yeah, that house is, is a kind of in-depth exploration of the sixth house, which I really do think is crucial because if your psychological health is off, so will your physical health be and vice versa. You know, that's going to be another episode. I've got that on the list. We'll put that down the line to come back to and talk about. All right, now let's do this. And then I'm going to put you on the spot right here on oh live radio. <laughs> okay, let's review. So the A to Z manual. A to Z horoscope maker and delineator. There you go. You've got the whole Look, title. If, I've got if, the A to Z if, part. <laughs> if Llewellyn George can take the time to write that long title by George, by George, we should absolutely honor it. Well, see, that's why I asked you the memorization <laughs> question. <laughs> All right. That's about as far as my memory goes. Yeah. And then Safarial's Astrology Handbook. Now, oh, we didn't mention this. When we talked about that, if you go online and search for that, you will find various parts of it. And also, you can find a PDF of it online, but it's four books combined into one. And many times you'll go online and get book two or book one, but you have to get all four. There is a book on Amazon, a paperback that has all four. And if you keep digging, you can find the PDF online with all four as well. You Grant know, one more book, Thomas, if I may, is the one that I mentioned. It's by Dr. William Davidson, and it's called Medical Lectures. That's all. And if you hunt around, it, uh, the last years ago, somebody asked if I knew where to get it, and I didn't. So I went online and looked, and I saw a copy. It, it, it was originally uh, transcribed by, I guess, one of the nurses in attendance. This is what Linda Goodman gave me. It was eight mimeographed 
pamphlets and they, they were in those days we didn't have xerox so these were carbon paper copies oh my word yeah yeah but i have and i saw one oh 10 years ago available for something like 150 dollars on amazon uh it these are well worth obtaining if you can find them and i, I believe today that they are available in pdf now i'm telling you the the way these things were carbon copied or whatever sometimes the pages are slanted a little bit i mean this is not 21st century technology here but if you can find those books those lectures are, are another one that really gave me so much insights which is why i don't i'm not afraid of medical astrology at all i talk about health all the time with with clients you have to be careful yeah but that's that you know line. that's a little caveat yes <laughs> okay so then grant louis Reinhold Ebertine, Linda Goodman, Lloyd Cope, Mark Edmund Jones, Horary Book, Liz Green, you can start with Saturn, Neptune, and then, as Robert mentioned, the Seth Speaks books, Jane Roberts, and then we talked about Robert's four books on um, Amazon, Steve Forrest's books, the 101 course in Kepler. Now, that is a really comprehensive list. Now, here's the deal. Robert, you've been doing this, what, 57 years, I think, now, as we're recording yes, this? Okay, started, all right. Yeah. So if you want to sound like Robert when you're 77 and you start at 20, <laughs> then you the, there's the list. That's what did it. That and a lot of readings. But Robert Patrick is a young man. He has time to digest all of these, and he can absorb and assimilate them. And he has the brain cells still in order to basically be able to commit these to memory. I, on the other hand, <laughs> look at adding 57 years to the current age, and it's not going to happen. So my on-the-spot question is, if you were recommending to somebody that they only had the opportunity to digest one or maybe two of these, and really that was going to be the focus, or okay, three, what's the top of the list for the... Uh, shall we say, the later in life crowd that might not have the opportunity to be able to absorb all of this? Oh, probably two, Thomas. The A to Z horoscope maker and delineator, just because it's so comprehensive. And uh, Saturn, A New Look at an Old Devil by Liz Green. Wow. Okay. All right. And then I would add a third, Mark Edmund Jones' horary book. Horary that Astrology. is interesting. Okay. Well, there you go. So that's the the list, guys. And Robert, I really appreciate you. I didn't, you and I thought this would be like a five minute episode. So here we go. We're coming up on 45 minutes of this, but I hope that that has really helped solidify how you got to where you are for people. Thank you. Well, thank you, Thomas. And if you would like to avail yourself of a reading with Robert, we've been mentioning this, you can go to R. Glasscock, the number four site. And under the Me tab, there is a link there. It's also in the show notes. You can also find a link to our Discord channel where Kristen Lawhead is doing an amazing job keeping the conversation going over there. And we will see you back next time on the next Old Soul, New Soul Astrology podcast with Robert Glasscock. Thank you so much for listening. Mm -hmm.